Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to the program today. We've got a program lineup for you today that's just going to cover some subjects that are always important. Kurt Zanowski is with us up front and going to be talking about Social Security. Also coming up, we've got Tim Van Horn from Buy, Sell, or Stay. And as always, we've got Scott Jordan. So it's a huge lineup, a lot to cover. want to remind you, though, if you can't, if you got questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. That's Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989, or to talk money at Shoemaker Financial. Dot com. Well, I introduced the fact that we've got Kurt Zernowski with us. Now, I can just tell you, more people call me when Kurt's announced that he's going to be on the program, and it's because they've got questions. They got a, they always enjoy Kurt, does a great job giving us tremendous amounts of information. And Kurt, just as always, sir, it is a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks, Jim. Great to be back with you. Well, you know, let, me, let me start, Kurt, because I, I think, as you know, the question, and as I mentioned kind of in the monologue there, a little bit about the fact, and he says, it's like a snowball rolling down the hill, getting bigger and bigger. Is it sustainable? This man happens to be in his 60s. And his concern, and I understand his concern, he says, I feel like I will start Social Security when I need to, but is it going to still be paying me when I'm 85 or 90? I have to I have to say, is it really? I mean, right now, there's so much discussion about the budget, about the deficit, about what's happening and how, you know, are we going to default in, you know, the summer on the on our bonds? I mean, all that's part of this noise, and it's really raised the question, is it sustainable? Sure. So get that question all the time, Jim, in different forms, and I always start my answer by saying, um, I always like to quote Yogi Berra, who once said, I'm reluctant to make predictions, especially about the future, but I'm going to give it a shot. And I also start my discussion by quoting Mark Twain, who once said, reports of my demise are greatly exaggerated. And I think the same is true of Social Security. People need to understand what the facts are. And the facts start with each year the Social Security Board of Trustees issues a report on the financial health of the system. In that annual report, they not only project, or not only state what the current situation is, but they attempt to project 75 years into the future. The most recent report came out in June of 2022, covering operations of the program through the end of 2021. And that report says, as currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, no increase in income, no cuts in benefits, they project that Social Security will have enough money on hand to cover 100% of the promised benefits each and every month between now and the end of the year 2034. But the report also goes on to say, again, assuming no changes whatsoever, beginning in the year 2035, the system will still have a revenue stream sufficient to pay about 80% of promised benefits going forward. And this is an important point, Jim. Lots of folks, younger ones in particular, 
say, oh, my God, there's not going to be anything there for me in the future. Now, it's important to note, Social Security's primary source of income are payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are self-employed. So absent a complete and total collapse of the United States economy, something akin to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Social Security is always going to have a revenue stream of some sort. And the question is, looking long range, is that revenue stream anticipated to be enough to cover 100% of the benefits that have been promised? And it is through the year 2034 and beginning in 2035, only anticipated to be enough to cover 80% of the benefits. So worst case scenario, Jim, you're getting $1,000 a month in 2035, uh, 2034, assuming Congress does nothing. And, and to me, it's inconceivable, as Wally Shawn said in The Princess Bride, that Congress won't deal with the issue at some point. But it's not like you're not going to get anything. You'd get $800 a month. So keep the issue in mind. Absolutely needs to be dealt with. But it's not as dire a situation as people you know, sometimes are led to believe, that there is always going to be this revenue stream going down the road. And so question confronting Congress and the American public in terms of saving Social Security is not how do you close a 100% funding gap by next month? No, it's how over the course of the next, you know, 10, 12, 13 years or so, you close this 20% funding gap. And the big issue why we have this shortfall? Well, it's demographics. You know, it's uh, in the graduate, they said, uh, Magic word is plastics. Well, in Social Security, it's demographics. Mm. It's the aging, the baby boom generation, the fact that more of us around collecting benefits, and the fact that life expectancy is increasing. So we're collecting for a longer period of time, which for me on an individual basis is a good thing. But that issue is compounded by the fact that baby boom generation was followed by the baby bust generation. And it's basically a pay-as-you-go system. Today's workers are funding the benefits being paid to today's beneficiaries. And so as we look out, trustees look out, they see the number of folks working and paying into the system. Right now is about three to support each Social Security beneficiary. By 2035 or so, it's projected to drop to about two to one. So that's the issue, but it's absolutely sustainable. Don't fall into the trap of thinking there's gonna be nothing there down the road. It's a program that faces some challenges, largely demographically driven challenges, but it's not program in crisis in any way, shape, or fashion. And the sooner the Congress deals with the issue, the better off we're all going to be in the long run. Well, I think that's the key. Congress has to do something. I know I, you sent the uh, report to Congress to me, and I was reading that. It just literally, Social Security paid, as it says, one of the bullet points, $1.133 trillion in calendar year 2021 to about 65 million beneficiaries. That number, the 65 million, is really what we're looking at. That's the growth. That's the demographic you're talking about. As it goes up, it will get to a point where it begins to decline. It has to, simply because oh, absolutely. the baby boomer dying out. And so yep. that makes it a much easier. I know demographic studies can come out and do whatever you want them to do. Numbers can talk. But the reality is... The sustainability is Congress will do something because it just it cannot go away. It's just part of our system today. It's just part of our program, right? Absolutely right. And, you know, quick thing, Jim, keep in mind, Social Security, it's basically it's money coming in, it's money going out. So the issue confronting Congress is not altogether different from the situation that people face at home. If at the end of the month you don't have enough money to cover all of your bills, whether well, you've got to do one of two things, either, to bring, either need to bring more money in or pay a little bit less out. And if you close that 20% percent 
funding gap in Social Security by just bringing more money in, who are you going to be impacting? Well, younger folks, employers, self-employed folks. You close the gap simply by cutting benefits, who are you going to be impacting? Well, older folks like me. So I think at the end of the day, when Congress does get around to dealing with it, you'll see a blend. Some reasonable income increases coupled with some reasonable slowdowns on the outflow side. And there's a number of different proposals, suggestions, ideas that are out there. If people are interested in looking at that, go to the Social Security Administration website, the Office of the Actuary, tries to play the role of the honest broker, and they score, if you will, lay out what the impact of some of these changes are. So there's solutions out there. It's going to require a level of political will on the part of Congress um, to deal with them. And part of the problem, frankly, in my own opinion, is Social Security doesn't face an immediate crisis. Yeah. So it's very easy for Congress to, you know, the old expression, kick the can down the road. Yep. Because, you know, any solutions, there's no magic bullet. Any solution will impact some folks negatively. And so Congress is very reluctant to do anything that's going to get anyone uh, torqued off at them. I'm trying to find a, <laughs> an appropriate term on the that's radio. Good. That's good. That's good. Well, we're, we're enjoying an 8.7% increase, a cost of living increase, but it began in January. That affected a lot of people. But now... Talk about when we get that, that is a huge number, Social Security and Medicare taxes. What do we what do we see that happened in 23 that come along with that same 8.7% cost of living increase? Sure. And so, you know, each year around October, Social Security announces what the upcoming cost of living adjustment is going to be in benefit payments. That increase in benefit payments based on the increase in something called the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners, the CPIW. But at the same time, Social Security announces a number of other changes that affect the operation of the program. And these changes, which we'll talk about in a second, are based not on the increase in the consumer price index, but based on the increase in average wages in the country over the prior 12 months. So one of the big changes each year is the maximum amount of earnings that are gonna be subject to Social Security tax each year. Because each year, there is a maximum level of earnings upon which somebody will pay that 6.2% Social Security payroll tax. Well, in 2022, it was $147,000. But in 2023, you'll pay that 6.2% matched by your employer. And those of us who are self-employed have the privilege of paying the combined employer-employee rate on $160,200. Now, the important thing to note is Benefits are based on an average of somebody's lifetime of earnings, their highest 35 years of work under the system. But in calculating a benefit, Social Security only averages in earnings that have been subject to that Social Security payroll tax. So 2023, pay that tax in the first $160,200 that you make. You make above that, sure, you'll continue to pay a 1.45% Medicare tax, but that 6.2% Social Security payroll tax stops and when it comes time to average your earnings to calculate your benefit, you'll get credit, if you will, for $160,200. Bunch of other changes occur as a result of the increase in average wages in the country. 2022, to earn one Social Security credit towards the 40 credits you need to be insured for a retirement benefit, well, you get one credit for each $1,510 that you made. Well, that has increased this year to $1,640, so one credit for each $1,640. Another thing that increased as a result of the average wage increase 
is the annual earnings test. As we talked about in the show before, if you're under your full retirement age, looking to collect benefits of any type, but intending to work at the same time, there's an earnings limit that comes into play each year that impacts whether you can collect or not. 2022, you're allowed to make up to $19,560 without any loss of benefits whatsoever. You made over that, well, didn't mean you couldn't necessarily collect at all, but Social Security held back $1 in benefits for every $2 that you were over the threshold. Well, in 2023, that amount has increased. This year, you're under your full retirement age and working. You're allowed to make up to $21,240 without any loss of benefits whatsoever. But again, the same test holds. You make over that. Social Security then is required to start holding back $1 in benefits for every $2 that you're over the threshold. So depending on how much you're making while you're under your full retirement age and working, you may not be able to collect. But as we talked about in the show previously, Jim, that earnings limitation goes away from the month someone hits his or her full retirement age. Key concept under the program, which we've talked about before. This year, for anyone born 1957, he or she will reach full retirement age when they reach 66 years and six months. So for folks planning for retirement, I always say you gotta start by knowing what your full retirement age month is based on your year of birth, because a lot of features of the program do flow from at least having reached your social security full retirement age. You know, that's such a critical you know, thought process. There's so much to know about social security. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Kurt Zernowski. He is the president and founder of Zernowski Consulting. He's a frequent guest of ours, always does a fabulous job talking about Social Security. I have one last question for you, sir, just just because it's a question that we get a lot. You talk about full retirement age and the fact that, you know, it has you know, the amount of money you can earn now is better if you're you know under, under full retirement. 66.6 years old if you're born in 1957. All right. What about the person that decides to make the decision not to take Social Security normally, which she would take at 66 or she would take at 66.6? They're going to live and not and continue to work through 70. Do you still believe that's the possible best thing for them to do? It raises the amount of Social Security would be paid. And why is it best? Well, you know, I'm, it's an individual decision, Jim. I'm not a financial advisor. I try and help people understand their choices and options. In other, in other words, help them understand what they can do under the program. But what someone should do, that's ultimately his or her choice. So it's important, though, to understand the options. You start at your full retirement age month, you get 100% of the amount your work and earnings entitle you to collect. Now, you start prior to that, that payment amount is reduced by roughly half a percent for each month you're going to collect about a 6% per year reduction. But you opt to wait past your full retirement age month before starting, well, you accrue what are called delayed retirement credits. And that full retirement age benefit is now increased by two-thirds of a percent for each month you opt not to collect. Two-thirds percent per month translates into an 8% per year increase in your payment by waiting. But the key thing is these delayed retirement credits only accrue from your full retirement age month until the month you turn age 70. Now you never have to take your social security benefits. Not like there's a RMD like there is with your 401k or IRA or anything like that, but you choose to defer from your full retirement age month until age 70. 
you'll see that full retirement age benefit amount increase by two-thirds of a percent for each month you've deferred collecting. So ultimately, it's important for people to understand that it's really a longevity decision, Jim. If you know you're going to live to 100, well, then probably you're better off waiting waiting until age 70 because that ensures you'll have the highest possible benefit for the rest of your life. If you know you're going to get hit by a bus in two years, well, maybe you start now and, 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 and recoup some of the money you've paid in. That's why I never tell people what they should do, but it's just important to understand the longer you wait, the higher your payment is going to be once you start to collect. And the other thing that we've talked about on the show before, too, is the way the survivor benefit program operates, that the longer you wait, the higher the survivor payment will be to your potentially paid, your husband or wife, once you pass away. So a lot of factors at play, important to understand the choices and the options that are there. And just basically in its simplest form though, the longer you wait, the higher your payment's gonna be for the rest of your life and the higher the survivor benefit's gonna be if your spouse happens to outlive you. Uh, that's a great answer to a great question. Kurt, it's always a pleasure. You always give us great information, sir. Looking forward to having you back on. You have a wonderful day. Thank you for being with us this morning. All right. Always a pleasure. Take care, Jim. Hi, right, Kurt. Say, it's Kurt Janowski. That's president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting. Does a fabulous job. Always just covers a lot of information. want to ask Scott Jordan now, though. We're going to talk about this question, Scott, that's coming in. And again, it's from Carla and Phil. Great question. And I sense their, kind of their anxiety because they're saying they started their investment program in 2018. They were doing okay. They think they understand it. And yet they stop and start. They stop and start. It seems like the news media, something happens, the air conditioner breaks or something. It just And they think they don't seem to be connecting to the strategy. What advice do you get? And talk about the pyramid. There's so much, you know, they can't even mention it because I think we've talked about it before on the program. They say, they say you guys make it sound easy. <laughs> <laughs> and we do always say that. You know, it's easy to say a lot of this stuff. It's a little hard to execute on some of these strategies from time. But I think what I'm hearing here, and, and I see this with, with investors a lot, is they're really kind of jumping ahead in what I would call the hierarchy. I mean, you can see it laid out in a pyramid or some kind of hierarchy. And that's, okay, before we start working on a long-term investment plan, let's back up. You know, do we have any high interest debt? You know, and I, I consider high interest debt credit cards, maybe even, maybe even paying on the car loan, but we have to get rid of that high interest debt first. That would be what I would consider step one. Step one, wipe it out. Right. And then kind of closely related to that, or, or not really closely related, but the next step would be establish an emergency fund or a cash savings. Because what happens is if you jump in, you start investing. Now, th this can be different for different people, and you have to look at it at, on your individual situation. But if you start investing too early and you don't have a good you know, I, I call this the financial shock absorber because there are things that are going to happen in life, whether the air conditioner goes out, like you mentioned, or, you know, there's a flat tire on the car we have to replace. If you don't have that good emergency fund in place, if you don't have that cash sitting there available, what is the next place you're going to have to go is to your investment plan and pull that back out of your investments. And then you're back to square one, you're starting over. And it may not be the best time to pull that money out of those I get that sense that that might be their problem, that yep. Carl and Phil would just simply... They, they they have a savings, but right. I feel like they don't. So what would how much do you recommend that they should have as the farthest basis 
to as they're doing this plan. And, and again, that's that's an invo- in individual situation type of, of answer. But I would say, you know, rule of thumb, somewhere around three to six months of expenses in liquid savings. And, and remember now, rate of return is not the important aspect of that money. It's just being able to access the money. That's money That is the account. most important because that's, that's what gets people. They have this money sitting there. They see the market's doing well and, and all that type of things. And they want to invest that money instead of just keeping it in cash. I want to remind you, if you've got questions, just send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. We're answering your questions right now. Carla and Phil, great question. When we come back, we'll answer that a little bit more. We're going to dive into some things about estate planning. And we've got Tim Van Horn's going to be up. He's going to talk about buy, sell, or stay. It's all about real estate. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice or real estate advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor or real estate consultant or realtor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation or real estate situation. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. We're answering your questions. This is from Phil and Carla. They they talk about the fact that that stop and start with their strategy. That they just can't be consistent. Scott Jordan's here with us, certified financial planner, and he's answering that question. And Scott, you said simply eliminate high interest, short term debt, credit cards, automobiles. Then have a three to six month living expense at a money market, a liquid savings account, something you can turn a, you know just to keep that from affecting your 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 plan. And Absolutely. what you're trying to do is stay in the course because getting in and getting out of your plan can be devastating to any long-term type of financial plan. And, and you know, I, I would also add to that, you know, with the emergency fund and paying off debt is, is those things that you know about that you're going to be purchasing in the near future. You want to have that stuff saved up before you start investing as well. Because again, you get your investment plan started and then all of a sudden you've got this major purchase coming up and you don't have any money for that. You're going to probably have to interrupt your investment strategy in order to get that going. So once once you've paid the debt off, you created the emergency fund, you save for any known upcoming major purchases, then it's time to diversify to meet those long-term goals. Now, that's perfect. That's great advice. I hope we've answered Phil and Carla's question. You're going to be back in a few minutes. You're going to talk about estate planning basics and what we need to know. You don't want to miss that part. But coming up, I tell you what, it's a privilege to have this celebrity on the program. He, of course, is Tim Van Horn. He is with Cumulus Radio. You hear him every Monday morning through Friday morning with Wake Up Call here in Memphis. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just a fabulous program that they do a great job. He is also a real estate agent and a very successful one. He does with Memphis Morning News and the, the, the K WKIM does that. That's a part-time job, believe it or not. Then he's in a full-time job. I'm not sure which one's part-time. Tim, uh, 
Do you take any time off? Is it just work 24-7? I take time off when my wife tells me to take I was time off. Say, I that's, that's, asked that to her. That is the appropriate answer <laughs> to pretty much a lot of life's questions. I do it when my wife, wife tells, tells me hey, to. you know what? That's when I've been married 50 years because I learned that early on. Do it. With my kids and my grandkids the other day, we were talking and I said, uh, you know, something about, we call her Lolly. Linda always loves you. Her name's Linda. And uh, they were talking. I said, yes, you think who's in charge? And he said, Grandpa, there's no question who's in charge. Lolly's in charge. So I totally understand that answer. All right. Let me ask you this, sir. I mean, you are, you've been very successful at this. What are some of the things that you think people should do? When you're thinking about buying or selling a home, this is a tough time. Really, if you go back a couple of years ago, it was like the market was so hot last year. Now interest rates have come up. People that can't buy the big house, they are now having to compromise because mortgage rates are up and maybe it doesn't meet their budget. What are you telling them? You know, and these are universal truths I'm going to tell everyone, regardless of the price points, the interest rates. These are some things that can put your, yourself into the best position. And I heard you talking about the financial planning pyramid. And I know real estate is is up the rung a notch or two. And much much like you are at, at Shoemaker Financial, uh, I feel like th there's a fiduciary on my part because for many people, this is the largest investment that mm. people will make outside of investing in their children. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And every person has a different story. But that story, I believe, should start in very similar fashion. And I think before you even take a look at buying a house, you really have to have a good snapshot of what's your finish line going to be like. And when I say finish line, I'm talking about what's that what's that monthly what's that monthly note going to look like. But on top of that, what is that down payment? What's that closing cost amount going to look like? And the only true way to get a good picture of that is to find a professional. Uh, a a a a good lender to have a discussion open up your financials let them get a good snapshot of where you stand so that they can give you an honest picture because the last thing that you want on something like this is to invest a month two months three months however long it takes to get to the closing table and then find out three days before oh I don't have enough money or wow, that's some sticker shock. We want to eliminate that from the very beginning because once you have the stress and the worry about the financial end of that taken care of, once that question mark is released, then you can almost you can almost enjoy the house hunting process. <laughs> that's a that's a great oh I like what you said almost. But you know the reality is, as you said, buying a home to a lot of people is their biggest investment they will make in their lifetime and that first home is kind of like this the the big pro that's an issue that they've never been through that they're getting all kinds of advice the real estate agent the, the mortgage people mom and dad friends next door neighbors whomever they're going to and sometimes that advice is conflicting when you're talking to someone how do you help them cipher through all that type of advice to make a good decision. And what I tell what I tell clients and potential clients on the front end is I don't buy houses, I don't sell houses. I help people. This is your money. This is your life. Let's slow down. Let's take a look at a few questions. Where where one of the big things is where do you want to live or or whether where do you think you want to live? 
and I'll ask questions about what kind of lifestyle do you want? Uh, how close do you want to be to the grocery store? Are schools important to you? Because for some people, schools might be very important and you may you may want to pay a little bit extra in a municipality's property tax if you like their school district. So, and are you concerned about maybe living in Mississippi where there's a bit of a state income tax? I'm licensed in Tennessee and Mississippi, so I deal with both situations. So my first question is, where do you think you want to live? Most of the time that matches up where they end up moving, but sometimes, Jim, it doesn't match up. And that's where... Rather than just be a realtor, I'm also kind of their bartender, their shoulder to cry on, I'm their tour guide, and whatever questions and concerns, I make sure that I make myself available so that um, they understand, that I understand the gravity of the situation, because once you sign those papers... Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you got to pay or you don't stay, whether yeah. you like it or not. Yeah, that can be a big, and it can be a lifetime issue because a person's, if it's not what they are comfortable with and they're locked in, it can be very big of a difficult problem. And I see that with people that are actually happy with their houses. You get buyer's remorse just simply out of the fear of what have I just signed on to look at this big bill? Because you know, at the closing table, the closing attorney will give you that amortization table of the, you know, if you buy a 30 year mortgage, those 360 payments going down, it's like, oh my oh, gosh. Yes. I, and then you start saying, oh, well, I'll be 72 when I pay this <laughs> off. And, and I'm thinking, well, I never asked your age, but I think you just told me you're 42 years old. <laughs> exactly. So there are some, sometimes there can be buyer's remorse, even when, even when somebody's happy with, with with the deal that they got, everybody's happy. Uh, the reality uh, that finances hit hard. That, that's why I'm so excited to be here with you guys today, uh, because you take a lot of that fear out with facts, and you help you help everybody realize. Okay, the more information I have, the better prepared I am to make decisions to either turn things around or to further improve my situation. You know, that's a great point. If you just tuned in, I just want to remind you that voice you're listening to, you might recognize it because again, he's here every weekday, morning news, Memphis morning news. We're talking to Tim Van Horn. He's got a new program that's going to start on March the 18th at 1 p.m. on News Talk 98.9. It's called Buy, Sell, or Stay. He's going to be the host just talking about real estate. What a subject because reality is what we see as financial planners, and Scott and I will talk about this, there's those things that really are big decisions for a client. It's not so much the investment that they make or the 401k they purchase or work with their firm, you know, the firm they're working at. It a lot of times is the home that they purchase and the medical expense that they have to manage. Those are two big, big issues. So that's why I'm excited about the program, Tim. I mean, tell us about what you're going to be talking about. Well, first of all, I figured if, if it works for you being on the weekends on News Talk 98.9, <laughs> I might as well do it too. But I, I called it buy, sell, or stay because we'll talk about we'll talk about moving from one place to another. We'll, we, we will definitely do all of that. But a component that I thought was very important to bring to the show is the stay side of things because some people uh, may may get the hankering to move, but then they look and it's like, oh, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But there are still some very important things that you can do in regarding your financial and your personal just enjoyment portfolio uh, 
just by staying where you are. There's a lot of things that you can do to spruce up your home, to improve your home, uh, whether it be on the inside or outside, or just simply making some refinance moves where you allow yourself to build even more equity in your home. So for me, uh, I, I think a key component of the stay part is you you can help improve your situation by the more you pay down or the closer you keep an eye on that market and perhaps refinance, you allow yourself later on to maybe cash out if you ever want to downsize. You've got more equity into the house. You've got, you have planned ahead and you have updated your home to make it more desirable. So when you are ready to move, you're not spending six months trying to get it ready for the market. So th there's a lot of things that we'll be discussing on that. And I appreciate you asking about that. And of course, we'll take questions as well and uh, on, on buying and selling. But I, but I just wanted to point out that the state part is, is just as important uh, for, uh, for a lot of folks are happy where they are. And, that, and that's perfectly fine. I think that's a great, you know, that's the professional in you is the fact that you're willing to talk about that. Because a lot of times, every time I talk to somebody, it's like, uh, you know, buy it or sell it. It's just that's the only way you make a living. But you guys, you have done a feminist job of building a professional error. And the whole idea being, it's kind of your mindset to do the best for the client. And, you know, I guess it remind everybody just uh, for Scott and I, we don't give advice when it comes to real estate. We do not, uh, we look at the, the professionals like Tim to be sure that we do that. That's not one of those things. We're not giving real estate advice and not, well, don't want the program to be construed that we're trying to give advice. We lean on the professional because it is a specialty and you need to understand it. It's not something that uh, we're trained to do. It's because we're not the professional there. It's the Tim Van Horns of the world. And truly, Tim is a professional. Tim, let me ask you this. The market was so hot a year and a half ago. I mean, unbelievable. And what's different? How do you compare it today? I know mortgage rates are up, but how do you compare it to a year ago? Year over year, the inventory is actually up a little bit. There's one thing that's going to be constant, especially in big cities that have large corporations. People are always going to be on the move relocating with their jobs. So there's going to be houses that come and flow. I, I The ebb and flow of that has wakened up a little bit. We're about... 15% up on inventory year over year. What we are seeing, though, our year over year sales from the beginning of 2023 compared to 2022 is down about 23, 24%. So what we're seeing is a position now where people are, dare I say, negotiating once again for their home purchases because houses are staying on the market longer. And now we're starting to see sellers, including some new construction, have to add incentives to bring buyers to the table. I still think there's a little bit of jitters out there. Um, and I do believe at some point inventory will go back up. But I think there's jitters of because and I've had this conversation with my wife before. Wow, you know, when we bought the house, we bought it for X amount, but look how much, you know, you know, it would, you know, it can appraise for now. Yeah, that's great. But if you're selling at the top of the market, guess what you're also doing? You're buying near the top of the market. So I still think there's some jitters there, but I'm very optimistic that the inventory has begun to go back up. Some of that's going to be natural ebb and flow, but then also I think some people are starting to dip their toe in the water and see, okay, well, you know, let's see what we can do here. And I think that's a positive sign that people are, are willing to do that and put, put their property out there. Well, we're seeing wage base increase. And so yeah. when I see the dollars that our wages are going up and the reality that if I have this desire, what you're saying is at some point that push-pull if the desire is strong enough, you'll pay the interest. Because really, the mortgage rate's not abnormal. 
<laughs> right. Over 30 years, it's actually kind of like right in the bullseye. Right in the uh, but I do feel really good that a couple of years ago, I refinanced for 15 years right. at like 2.75%. That yes. was that was nice. And, and and we caught a nice break on there. But that's another point that I, I again, I will always point back to a qualified lender. And I prefer local lenders. I want someone that I can look in the eye. Like when it comes to financials, I want a Jim Shoemaker. I want a Scott Jordan. I can look in the eye that has has a fiduciary interest, not somebody that can just put me on, on permahold on the phone, but get a local qualified lender uh, that will walk you through what the costs are and find someone that you trust. Because I believe there will be a time when those rates go back down because you can buy in now at a certain rate to get that house. You can always refinance later at a lower rate. And I what and one of the reasons that I I love trusted local lenders is they'll keep me in the loop on those things. And now when I look at the amortization table of my 15 year loan compared to 30, I see, and again, I know this isn't money that I laid out, but it's, but there are tens of thousands of dollars that are staying in my savings account that are not going to that mortgage company. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Buy, sell, or stay. Tim Van Horn starts that program on March the 18th. That's next, not this week, but next, and it's at 1 p.m. It's on News Talk 98.9. It's a familiar voice, folks, a trusted voice. You don't want to miss it. Buy, sell, or stay March the 18th at 1 o'clock right here on News Talk. That's Saturdays right here on News Talk 98.9. Tim, i got to ask you this question. I think I've heard it. I think I've you said it multiple times. You're the consummate professional. You used the word fiduciary. Boy, we identify with that word a lot because we see that's what we do. It's about the client. Why did you choose to become a realtor? It, for me, uh, I love I love working with people. Some people say I love dealing with people. Well, I'm not dealing with you right now. I'm working. I'm working with you. And every person has a different story. And I'm fascinated by the fact that people um, have to make large decisions in their lives. And I've always felt like that if you get a bad experience in whether it be real estate or any kind of large investment, um, it can change your life for the worse. And I, and after doing 15 years of television, you know, I was tired of being just in front of a camera where I couldn't see who my customers were. And I thought that I could go out and impact in a positive way uh, by helping people and, and, and by being a fiduciary. And for me to just break that down is you are first, I am last. And I think that's a great business model. And I know you do the same. You and Scott do the same thing because I've heard you talk about it. People will call you with questions that may not have much to do with anything with their specific portfolio performance. But they know if I've got a question, I'm calling those guys. And that's the kind of reputation I've worked really hard to have is just to be that guy. Hey, Tim, do you know a plumber? Absolutely. Here, call this guy. I think he can help you with that with that uh, water heater link. It's, so for me, it, it, it has given me an opportunity to um, use my servant's heart to help others. Well, that's, that's the key. I like the word servant's heart. It's a new radio program right here on 98.9, News Talk 98.9. It's called Buy, Sell, or Stay. I mean, it is Tim Van Horn at his best. 
It starts Saturday, March the 18th at 1 p.m. You don't want to miss that show, News Talk 98.9, right here where he's here every Monday through Friday with Memphis Morning News. So, uh, no disrespect, by the way. My wife says I'm at my best when I load the dishwasher. That makes her very happy. Very happy. I hear you, partner. I hear you. Well, again, thank you, Tim. I appreciate you being with us. We're going to thank you so much for just what you do and uh, the integrity of what you do. Uh, we're looking forward to having you back on. Jim, Scott, thank you guys for this opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. We're glad that you're here at News Talk 98.9 and, and appreciate you carving out a few minutes for me just to share my story. Well, I'm looking forward to being a part of the program. Looking forward to you continually to teach people about real estate. Scott, we've got to talk about um, the whole idea of who needs estate planning. I mean, now, again, I think it's important that we tell people that we don't do specific tax or legal advice, that we're not considered to be, you know, tax or legal people. That's not, financial planners don't do that. You should always consult your tax and legal advisor regarding, on, especially when it comes to your own specific tax and legal situation. But let's just say in the few minutes that we've got left, who needs estate planning? Well, Jim, last time I checked the stats, I, I believe we're all going to die. I think mortality rates are still running at around 100% sooner or later. So, And, and most of us are going to die at a time that we don't anticipate. We can't take our stuff with us. So we have to decide who is going to get our stuff and when they're going to get our so, stuff. So, so when you're saying that, you, I mean, a lot of people say, well, it's only for the wealthy. You're not, that's not the case. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions. Now, naturally, the more complex your situation, the more work and planning that it might take. But everybody needs a basic estate plan. Everybody needs to decide how they want to transfer their assets at death. All right. When you say a basic estate plan, what are the documents that make up a basic estate plan? I would say the ones that apply to everyone would be, you know, the last will and testament, uh, durable power of attorney, both financial and health care, and, and possibly a living will. Now, you can get into some trust and stuff, but not everybody needs that. But I think those ones I just named, everybody needs to make a provisions for those. I know we have been in meetings with clients and we've asked about your durable power of attorney. And a lot of times, you know, when we say that, they, they really are not familiar with that. So for our listening audience, durable power of attorney, explain that. And it just, again, now I want to remind you, we're not giving specific tax or legal advice. Consult your own specific tax legal advisor for your own personal situation. We're just answering the questions that we actually get all the time. So let's talk about that. Durable power of attorney. So this is a document that in, in this document, you're going to name a trusted person that can make either financial or healthcare decisions for you. They don't have to be the same person. You can have one for each and, and multiple for that matter. But this is a document that would allow somebody to make those decisions for you in the event you were not able to make them yourself. So you were incapacitated couldn't make those decisions, you've named somebody that can step in and act on your behalf. So would that be my wife or do I need to, do I have to name my wife? <laughs> it's, it certainly could be your wife. Oh, it and should for be you, my I, wife. Think I was going to say it probably my, better be your better wife. Better be my but, wife. Uh, but, yeah, but, yeah but, I think uh, in, in most situations, people would name their spouse, but you also need to have a backup in the event your spouse, let's say you guys were in a common accident and couldn't make decisions. You need somebody that can step in the event, in the event neither one of you can make those decisions. Does but yeah. she have to have the power of attorney or can she just do it, make the decisions because she's my wife? 
Well, it depends. Uh, you know, like with all things, it depends. In, in, a, in a joint account type situation, like you have a joint account in a bank, sure, either one of you can make those decisions. But for accounts or assets that are only titled in your name, no, they wouldn't be just because they're your spouse. They wouldn't be allowed to make those decisions for you or, you know, do things like make trades or pull monies out of, money out of the accounts would not be done without a power of attorney. So let's talk about when that person walks into the office and they're saying we need to transfer from from my husband's estate to mm -hmm. my husband's account, whatever it is, it's in his name. They can't do that unless they have the power of unless attorney. Unless they have that power of attorney. That's correct. If it's titled just in your name. Just in again, name. you know, that's your asset. You're the one that has legal title to that asset, and you're the only one that can make decisions on that without that power of attorney being named. And so you mentioned a durable power, a living will, and we have run out of time. Uh, you know, wow, Jim. What, what, that's, I don't. <laughs> we'll, know, have, I, we'll have to touch on this again because this is so important. These these are things that I think we could probably do. You know, at least a long segment on on the show. So we'll have to come back to it. Well, again, I think it's critical. I will do that. I want to thank you so much for being a part of the program, Scott. Even the short few minutes we had, Tim Van Horn, I want to thank him. If you want to reach Tim, you can call him at 262-5000, 262-5000. If you want to talk to Scott, it's 757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money and uh, just uh, Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast. I want to thank my producer this morning is Maximilian, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, and Kimberly Plain. I want to thank you so much for listening. We're here for you every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Kurt Sarnowski or Sarnowski Consulting, Tim Van Horn, or Crylike Realtors. The views and opinions expressed are those of Kurt Sarnowski and Tim Van Horn only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.